A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's, a, it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Wilander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Schreiber. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to the Tennis Podcast. Well, Switzerland have put last year behind them once and for all because they are the champions of the Billie Jean King Cup for the first time in their history. And it was 1998 when Martina Hingis tried to do it and she was at the absolute peak of her powers and she couldn't get over the line with Paddy Schneider in that final against Spain. Um, a year ago, it was Russia and all the recriminations and controversy about that final and match prodding them in the press conference and causing all sorts of trouble. He's been back in the press conference today. We'll hear about that in a little while. Uh, but Matt, in the end, that tie worked out pretty much exactly as you thought it would last night. 2-0 in Switzerland's favour. No need to go to the doubles. Jill Teitman drafted in just as you thought. <laughs> so uh, are you inside? Heinz Gundart's head or what? I'm starting to think I might be. I mean, I have spent a very long time in his company over this week <laughs> in various press conferences when he's remembered to come to them. Um, but yeah, a very different feel to last year. And I think Switzerland are worthy, worthy winners. They have not lost a live match in this in this tournament. The only... The only uh, match they lost was a uh, doubles when they had already secured their qualification. Heinz Gunthardt has got his team selection spot on every time, chopping and changing between Teichmann and, and Goljevic. And obviously then Belinda Bencic in the number one singles position, just so incredibly reliable, playing incredibly well. And therefore they, they didn't need the doubles. And yeah, I did think that Heinz Gunthardt would go with Teichmann today, given given the head-to-head with Sanders and the fact that it was in this this competition last year. And just about it was it was the right decision because that was where the drama was today. That first match, uh, Bengtschik won very very easily, but that first match was was extremely tense and just Switzerland got over the line. You seemed in our conversations as that much was going on as though you always expected that that would be the end result, even when Sanders levelled at one set all. I mean, I was I was amazed by the the fight, not not how hard she fought Sanders, but the fact that she just wouldn't go away, even when she was clearly hampered, clearly impeded by something, an injury. And, you know, she looked as though... There was no real way of, of getting back into it, but she just hung around, didn't she? She was setting a breakdown. I'm sure Teichmann got a bit edgy as well. But then what happened to Sanders' game that I don't re- recall happening a year ago and I don't, didn't see it until this point was she just started swinging and just going for shots. And, and she started to hurt Teichmann. And it was, it was a great battle. Uh, in the end and I mean the third set yeah it did kind of always feel in the end that it would go Switzerland's way but I loved watching these two lefties go toe to toe very similar looking games I don't I mean somebody with a lot more technical know-how than than myself would know how similar their games actually are but to the eye they were very similar 
and and I really enjoyed the patterns that we got to see because you you don't see a lot of left-handers up against each other from the baseline that look similar like those two did. Um and it was a it was a great match. Great. I think the there was a good crowd in for this one. It's that it looked like certainly from the TV pictures I was looking at and and I think um yeah, a lot of people will go home with a lot of memories of that match. Yes, I think so. It was pretty much the biggest crowd of the week, I believe. And it was a really good contest, as you said. I did always think Teichman was going to win. And and the reason I felt that was partly because Sanders was hampered. She was injured. Uh, so I always thought that there was something there for Teichman to be able to exploit. But mainly for Sanders to be able to get back into the match she had to, as you said, peak for such a long time, it seemed like, from a set and a breakdown. And and she managed it to win the second set, but it always felt like sustaining that, which wasn't quite her natural game, as you said. It was it was even more aggressive than she normally is. She, you know, she likes to come forward, but she was really teeing off from the baseline, which isn't necessarily her game. I just always felt like that would be really hard to sustain. And it had been such a huge effort just to get the match level again that pushing on even further and winning the third just just always felt like it would be tough and I think the matchup kind of suits Teichman if they're both playing okay because I think Teichman wants those baseline rallies that you described she's got a bit more spin on her shots she's able to push Teichman uh, push Sanders off the baseline and I think that was why Heinz Gunthardt went with that pick because it's a pretty good matchup for Teichman if she doesn't get tight, which she did in the second set and and kind of allowed Sanders back into it as well as Sanders did to get into it. So I was full of admiration for Sanders for making that a match because for a long time it looked like it was going to be over in straight sets. And then I, then I was, you know, full of Teichman for fighting through those nerves, fighting through a player who was playing really well and and ending up on the winning team. It was it, it was a really exciting match. Yeah, I enjoyed watching both Teichman and Benchich try to deal with the with the inevitable nerves and the thoughts that would have been raging through their heads about what was possible here if they could just win these last <laughs> few points. I love seeing what title big cup pressure does to a tennis player. And obviously it's even more heightened because of what happened a year ago to these very players and missing out and being so disappointed and so angry as well and wanting to put the record straight and have their name on that trophy. And uh, both times in those two singles matches, the non-playing player sort of appeared and was just just clearly trying to help the process of, of staying in the moment and not not losing the grip on the match. And even Benchich, as, as dominant as she was, I mean, she beat Isla Tomljanovic 6-2-6-1. And look, the patterns of the match felt that dominant. She was brilliant, absolutely brilliant. She was just absorbing the power of Tomljanovic and redirecting it, making it uncomfortable for us. Kind of Tomljanovic's worst nightmare as, a, as an opponent. And yet there were still some edgy moments when Benchich is trying to get over the line. <laughs> and uh, and she did. She did it emphatically in the end. And the scenes at the end was, were exactly what you want to see in an event like this. They've They've put themselves out for this event the Swiss team, the Australian team, obviously Australia, the, the distance they've travelled to, to get to this event. And and I love seeing how, I mean, they were great sports, Australia. They were looking their opponents in the eye, handshakes, congratulatory. Uh, all the players were speaking warmly of, of what their opponents had done today. But they were devastated and they were determined, like Switzerland a year ago, to come back and and get the name on this trophy, and I, and that's that's what this event needs, isn't it? It needs people to care like that, and and that element of it is not in doubt. You know, we've I think we've seen a couple of performances that have been a little bit listless from one or two teams or benches and stuff. But when you look at Britain and uh, Switzerland today and Australia today and, and and a few others, it's just it's told you it matters and. Uh, Switzerland did not put a foot wrong all week. They have been incredible. 
Um, and and actually, it was it's something that you hear captains talk about how important it is all year long to be going through this process of building team spirit and understanding your players. It was really really shown today, wasn't it? It was, and I think my takeaway of what what I find so impressive about the Swiss team is that Bencic is always going to play the number one singles. That is just a given because you know, she's the best player and in particular she thrives in this event. But then you've got two players in Golubic and Teichmann who are so close. You know, there's there's very little between them in terms of quality. And I just think for them to sort of put their ego aside and clearly just help the team and go along with Heinz Gunthardt's decision of who plays in which match, because presumably they both want to play in every match. And yet, there didn't seem to be any kind of inner rivalry about who was going to play. It was just simply what's best for the team. Teichmann bought into it. Golubic bought into it. And I just think that really shows great team spirit, great leadership. Uh, and I think that's a big part of, of why they won, you know, because they're all on the same page. And absolutely last year's, um, defeat had had made them really, really hungry for this one. Something I didn't get to ask in in the press conference, which which we're going to hear shortly. But something I've been thinking about is now whether they will have the hunger to win it again and again and again. You know, like we've seen the Czechs do, or whether just winning it this one time because of you know the fact that Switzerland had never won it before the the heartache they all felt last year, the anger they felt last year, whether that's enough. I get the sense that actually they're going to be more like the Czechs rather than more like the Swiss Davis Cup team, you know, where Federer was like, I want to win it once. And then, I mean, he barely played the competition again, did he, after he won it? I think Bengtschik, Golubic, Teichmann are are a close-knit group and I think it's good for them to play and compete in this event. And I suspect that you know, in 12 months' time, we'll be talking about the Swiss as one of the leading contenders at next year's Billie Jean King Cup finals as well. Well, 12 months ago, Matt's first question to Heinz Guntart elicited more or less an accusation of cheating <laughs> towards, towards the opponents. So I think it's high time we go back and, uh, and have a listen to them talk to each other again. In today's press conference, there are a few other journalists in there this time, unlike last time. But Matt <laughs> got the first. <laughs> you had backup, and it was a, it was a rather different scene. Have a listen. Heinz, <laughs> I was in the press conference in Prague last year after the final. This is quite different. <laughs> How sweet does it feel? Ah, uh, it's extremely sweet. Uh, maybe it's even sweeter after last year. I don't know. You know. You, you obviously can't compare, but, um, you know, we've, we've been working for this a long time, not just this week. I mean, you used to call it the Fed Express, uh, trying to get to the end station, which is the title. And it always stopped at semifinal location or before, unfortunately, or last year in the finals. So that one more was very difficult to come by. And when things are really difficult and you finally conquer it, it's super sweet. Belinda, I just wanted to ask, with the Olympics last year and, and now this, what is it about playing for Switzerland that really brings out the best team? Yeah, probably I should just become a team player now and <laughs> never play like for myself again. <laughs> and and uh, yeah, the next tournament for us is the United Cup. <laughs> so, so that's great. We're going to wear red, uh, red and white again. again. So that means we're going to play some good tennis. <laughs> Um, I'm not sure what it is, um, or actually, no, I'm very sure because it's just what makes a team. And I feel like I'm not playing for myself out there. I'm fighting for, you know, all the team and for all Switzerland, for our country. And this was like a childhood dream coming true, you know, like watching the national or hearing the national anthem and watching the Swiss flag. Um, it's really something big for me. And I just feel like it brings out the best in me. It brings out like those extra percentages, which maybe I cannot bring in the other tournaments but um yeah after the olympics this is pretty big i mean this was a huge goal of ours especially after last year and as heinz said i mean it's it's so different that really the line between the heartbreak and the victory it's it's so small and the difference is so huge in emotion <laughs> 
do you feel it it can this can help you individually next year as as well potentially yeah absolutely i'll just need like vicky and jill and simona and heinz <laughs> in all my matches and phil and yeah i'll just need them in all my matches and if they cannot make it i'll just retire <laughs> <laughs> Well done to you all. Russell Fuller from the BBC. Do you feel as if that was very much the missing link for your country, for Switzerland, in that collectively as players, not just you, but others have won Grand Slams and Olympic gold medals and Davis Cup? Was the Billie Jean King Cup the one that you felt you were really missing? Yeah. Mm, yeah. yeah. I mean, we're the first ones. So. It was a matter of time. Like, obviously, they're, of course, we're going to win it <laughs> at some point. Linda, I told you last year. I told no, you. no, I'm just kidding. But it's really like we worked really hard for this and we wanted this trophy so much. And it means a lot to us. And um, I mean, it's a privilege playing for our country. And um, I still cannot believe we actually did it. I mean, ask us tomorrow. But yeah. <laughs> Question for either Belinda or Jill. I noticed that you. I noticed that you replicated the celebration that Federer and Wawrinka did in in 2008 at the Olympics. Was that a plan, something you had planned or just a spur of the moment thing? No, I think it was just like in the moment because it's so iconic, um, at least for us, like in Switzerland, like we see it everywhere and they're they're also like amazing and they were both our role models. And um, I'm so glad we have a the same picture now in the on the female side, <laughs> I you know. Seen it yet, so <laughs> I have I haven't seen it yet, but hopefully we'll get the same picture, like just female and male. <laughs> yeah, I just needed like to lay down for a minute and just like soak it all in, but I still haven't. But it was just uh, I don't know. We didn't think much. We just uh, were in flow. We were just living the moment. Mm-hmm. I've actually remembered like. Uh, the part when like Stan was lying down and yeah. then, you know Roger did this hand thing so <laughs> they were on fire this moment I saw the picture so I did the same it was all like you know Deja. Um, <laughs> exactly kind of yeah, it's a Swiss tradition it starts <laughs> as a kid you get ta- taught like that you know it's like you need to do this behave when you win <laughs> and Heinz you've obviously had a very long career in tennis lots of different um sort of roles player coach captain can you sort of describe how the emotions you're feeling now compared to others that you felt in this sport are we finally how far do you want me to go back exactly how far do you want me to go back you know obviously playing yourself you can't replicate but the second best thing to that is coaching this team believe me i'm sitting on the court and my adrenaline, if you could measure it, is sky high, right? Because I'm kind of feeling them, what they're going through. You know, it's difficult out there. It's very, very difficult. And, you know, I'm trying to help, but I'm not hitting a single ball. So how much help am I? All right. So it's, it's, it's just a, it's a unique position to be in, sitting on a court, not being able to hit a ball because I literally can't up too old anyway, but <laughs> but participating and being so near everything at the same time and feeling literally what they're going through. So I mean it's an absolute privilege. <laughs> Could Hi, cheers. 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 <laughs> cheers. Well, cheers indeed. Lovely end to the, the press conference there. <laughs> Matt, were, were they having a few drinks in there? I was so pleased when they all walked in with glasses of champagne. I thought, (laughs) right, this is going to be a good press conference. And Jill Teichman in particular, I think, had 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 a few already. She was the most tipsy, I think, and coming in off mic, but in a in a much more enjoyable, fun way this time. It was it couldn't have been a a more different scene to last year. I mean, honestly, just the mood in the room was totally different i feel like i've really come full circle with the swiss team cathartic for you as well it was in a way we all needed closure (laughs) (laughs) that's brilliant it it was very interesting actually i I liked um the questions eleanor crooks was asking as well about belinda bencic it's it's a question i've been wondering myself you know what is this repeatable on the tour now and uh I guess we're going to have to find out. But, I mean, clearly she comes alive in this environment. Um, I, I I loved the insight that Heinz Guntart gave about how 
this is the only this is the closest thing to playing and and what it's like to be out there you know it, and and I kind of get that even just from the the little bits of of involvement we get to be right on the sidelines of a match sometime I've been very close to to tennis matches in the past almost on a bench and uh you you do feel things that are going on out there um but moreover I just I just love what's what this event means to them all and the jackets that were were designed by Tory Birch that you're talking to Billie Jean King about yesterday, I do feel that that's a lovely initiative and a really clever one to 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 build a sense of permanence to the to the event. And uh, yeah, I, I I loved listening to that. Uh, it was a very very different scene in the Australia press conference, as you could probably imagine. Um, I listened to, to that, Matt. You sent me the recording of it. I mean, basically, they're just great sports, aren't they? They gave everything they'd got, and they they can walk away really with no regrets, but they're very, very disappointed. They are, and I think Tom Janovic in particular. You know, I think Sanders did absolutely everything she could today. She's been just a total star this tournament and exceeded all expectations, really. Tom Janovic, you know, I said a few days ago what a class act she is and how much I like her and what a great player she is and all of that stands. In hindsight now, looking back, she didn't actually have a particularly great tournament as the Australian number one. She only actually won one completed match, you know, against Anna Karolina Schmiedlova and then she beat Elise Mertens um, via retirement and then in the last couple of days she's lost to Harriet Dart and she's lost today to Belinda Bencic and look that can happen Bencic is a better player than Tom Janovic I would say when they're both playing well but she was pretty disappointed with her performance today she felt like she could have done more and I just wonder for this Australian team you know that's that's two finals in the last three editions of this event um, and a semi-final last year as well. They've been very, very close. But I do wonder how much better they can get, you know, how much how much more is there for this team to give? I think they're relying on Storm Sanders getting even better. They're probably relying on Tom Janovic getting better, maybe Ellen Perez, you know, and Storm Sanders combining to become a really good doubles team or or something like that. But at the moment... It feels like there's probably always going to be a stronger team left in the competition. You know, they've lost to Switzerland in, in the last two years. Someone with a really good number one, I think, who can also play doubles is is going to be tough for Australia to beat, I suppose. So, you know, Alicia Mollick is absolutely determined that they're going to keep chipping away. They're going to keep coming. And I don't doubt that for a second. But I I am just wondering how much better they can actually get or have they already sort of maxed out everything everything from this team of course there's there's one australian who is uh, no longer a no longer an active player who you who you would think if you put if you put her in it's a, it's a different conversation but um it is what it is and ash Barty has retired and therefore that sort of limits the absolute upper level i think of australia but Full credit to them. They've been absolutely amazing in this competition for a few years now. And let's see whether, like like the Swiss, they can turn being runners-up into champions. The, the motivation to do that is is going to be really, really high. Uh, I suppose the the unknown with Tom Ljanovic, to some degree, is whether the competition is a bit of a problem for her, given that she did struggle in that final mm. uh, three years ago and... and Relatively speaking, she struggled in this one, lost to Harriet Dart, lost comfortably to Belinda Bencic. I don't think it is that. I think she's I think she's on fumes, really. She you would expect given I mean she's just had the best year of her career and she's kept on coming. She's kept you know, she was a big factor at Wimbledon. She beat Serena Williams to end her career. She's had really good results all year long. And here we are in mid November. I think that's a factor. I mean, mm. I also do think there are certain playing player styles like Bencic who can cause her problems and kind of turn her back on herself um, with her with her skill set. But yeah, I, I I don't think that should be overlooked. That that she's one of the players who's played a lot of matches, 
um, and may well be struggling physically more than some others. Um, but anyway, she didn't make any excuses. She was just disappointed. She just, mm. she, you could tell from her, I, I said no regrets. She is the one who has regrets because I think she felt she could do more. Um, but even even at her very best, I don't know whether she'd have lived with Benchich the way she was playing this week. No, I agree with you. And um, just just a f- final word on the Swiss team. I um, I asked it in the press conference, but I did think it was amazing that uh, Jill Teichmann and, and Benchich copied the Federer Wawrinka iconic sort of on fire celebration from the two thousand and eight Olympics, and I, I just loved that it came to them in that moment. And uh, I think that's that will be a sort of defining image, I think, from this event and one that, you know, certainly will be very, very popular in, in Switzerland, I'm sure. Yeah, and I can just imagine Roger Federer and Stan Wawrinka watching that and thinking... I, I hope so. I, I bet they do. I bet they do. Because, they, you know, Federer's often talked to, uh, with with warmth about mm. Benchich, hasn't he? He's played mixed doubles with her and at the Hopman Cup. And, yeah, I, I can I can imagine that that he'll be really warm and fuzzy inside after this uh, weekend because I think he does care about uh, about his compatriots and and the success they have. And they've just had a massive, massive piece of success right there. Um, and just great scenes seeing Billie Jean King slip on these blue jackets onto the Swiss team. And uh, yeah, do do have a look at the photos of that if you get a chance, because it's uh, it's really something. Um, the, the week in general, Matt, the event in general in Glasgow, how do you depart thinking about it? You've now done a couple of these events. Obviously, it's still pretty much in its infancy in this particular guise, isn't it? Because for many, many years, it was a uh, home and away ties and World Group One and World Group Two, and very, you know, it's all that. Um, but it was when we covered the 2019 competition, everybody was in Australia, and it, and uh, it was a, an incredible atmosphere of Australia playing at home. They lost, but it was an amazing occasion. But it was just two teams for the final weekend, whereas this is, as Billie Jean was saying on the show last night, her view is this is the World Cup of tennis, and therefore the teams need to they come in and they play uh, in one location like this and, and duke it out at the finals. What, what's your verdict? Well, I've done sort of four of these now I suppose if you count the two Davis Cups I've done the two Davis Cup finals I've done since the format change and now the two Billie Jean King Cup finals since the format change and I honestly have come away from all of them feeling quite similar um, in that there was plenty of good but a lot that can be better or, or that I hoped would be better one thing that made me a little bit sad, I think, is that I I was less worried or caught up this week about the size of the crowd. And I think that's because I've become used to it not being particularly good at these finals. It didn't shock me in a way that at the past editions it did. And I was like, you know, where are the crowd? Why are more people not here? And I think that we shouldn't become used to there being no crowd because really the size of the crowd I think does pretty much tell you the success of the event you know you want people there they help to create the event they help to drive interest they help to make it better and so therefore that was a bit disappointing I suppose there were you know there were occasions this week where the crowds were pretty good but a lot of the time they weren't to be quite honest um I think there were some key issues that this new format has, which it might never be able to overcome just in terms of the crowd in that I honestly don't know if, and apologies to these two nations, I'm just plucking them out of the air, if Slovakia, Belgium in Glasgow on a Tuesday morning, I don't think that is ever going to have a big crowd. I don't think you're ever going to be able to find a way to overcome that problem. And the other big one is the calendar of course, the tennis calendar. And we've talked about it all week, but this event needs its own space. You know, if it's tagged onto the end of the WTA finals or the start of the WTA finals, 
you're constantly going to be having the same discussions every year about players having to pick one or the other or players arriving fatigued and not being able to give their best. I do think we had a lot of good players here, probably more than last year. You know, Bencic, Rubakina, Barossa, Goff, Andrescu. It was great to see all of them here. But, you know, we also had some big names missing. The biggest name was missing in Igor Fiontech, and that is a problem. So I end up feeling very conflicted, I suppose, about the whole thing. I've had a good time. There is something great about seeing all the teams together. And I do think that the idea of it works. It's just it needs to find a way to execute it better. And and that's why I'm intrigued about the Davis Cup finals, where I'm going to be in, in a week or so, where there's only eight teams rather than 12. It's straight knockout from the start. So, you know, you sort of know where you stand with that competition a little bit sooner. And who knows, that that might work better. Um, we'll see what the crowds are like. But generally, I think there's definitely potential but it still feels only like potential it it doesn't feel like it's it's hit on a winning formula yet plus davis cup finals has quite recently had its group stages in yes. four separate locations so it's given you four home crowds mm. uh where it's felt that's felt really vibrant and exciting again uh it's felt like davis and fed cup um uh, in days gone by but I I'm I'm torn because there's a reason why I wanted it to change because I didn't think it was working. I didn't I could never trying to explain group you know world group 1 and world group 2 to people was so difficult and and to get the eyes of the world onto an event which just features two nations at the end of the year also you know the most of the world's you've, well, what what have they got invested in it. And so I I really get I really support the idea. I think the problem is it can tennis sustain this. Can, I mean can it can it handle uh what it needs to? Can it you know when we talk about it comparing it to the World Cup of football that's got obviously a bigger a much bigger pool of interest anyway because it's the, one of the biggest sports in the world. Um but it's also got that as its format through generations so people are used to that and they're planning ahead and it's every four years and and they've got time to to plan i mean at the moment a little bit like with fort worth uh for the wta finals we, we don't know where the event will be next year yet mm-hmm. um and I, I really i mean i don't i don't know what the solution is other than other than to just keep on working at it and try to build it and grow it because you've got this you've got this issue of trying to make a commercial success of the event so that it's sustainable and that it can keep laying on all this but you've got the the question mark over well if it goes back to glasgow again for instance or it goes back to britain again next year a is that is that fair is that is it fair that britain keep hosting it and if they keep getting wild cards into it when they've lost in april these these are all um issues i suppose at the moment but i also i i totally understand why that's the, the case that the, the try uh, billy jean was saying to us yesterday that it did incredibly well to even have the event last year i think that this is a step up but it still feels like it could be so much better and it's and and i'm sure everybody involved in the organization knows that and it's just working incredibly hard to make it better and we just got to keep keep hoping that it does because I think I want it to be a success. I want it to be the World Cup of Tennis. Um, so, you know, and, and when you actually look down the the vast list of other countries that have been playing only this weekend in the the qualifiers, in the, in the playoffs, um, to get into the draw for April – um, we've had France playing and beating the Netherlands. That's Caroline Garcia, who's just won the WTO finals, playing and winning her singles the week after in a qualifying match to get into the the tie in April, which is going to be against Great Britain. Um, it's extraordinary. Um, we've had Germany um, winning in Croatia. We've had Ukraine beating Japan. What, a, what an amazing story that is. Uh, Brazil beat Argentina. Slovenia upset China. 
And that's Kai Yuvan beating Zheng Chin Wen. This, these are great stories. Great, it's, it's, and it's so, it's truly global. As Billy Jean was saying yesterday, that the sheer number of countries taking part in this, and we've got the uh, the qualifying draw, fourteenth uh, to the fifteenth of April next year. It's going to be featuring Spain against Mexico, Ukraine against Czech Republic, GB against uh, France, Canada against uh, Belgium, uh, the United States up against Austria, Slovakia versus Italy, Germany against Brazil. Uh, Kazakhstan against Poland and Slovenia against Romania. Um, Switzerland and Australia are straight through to next year's finals, having reached this final, which I think I like that. I, I, I think that they, they very much deserve that. I think that's a good way of of rewarding the uh, the winning or, or and the runners up team. Um, but yes, I I just think they've just got to keep going. I suppose is the answer. And uh, we've got to kind of go along with the ride and not expect it to be perfect at the moment because how can it be? Yeah, I agree. And I think we we heard the news the other week, didn't we, that the ATP and Davis Cup are collaborating a little bit more. I mean, yes, what that actually means in practice, we'll see, I suppose. But I guess we want a similar thing for the WTA and the Billie Jean King Cup finals as well you know so the wta is encouraging players to play the event you know so that they're working together so that the wta is promoting this event on its channels and just spreading the word out there that this event is big and important and matters and features the same players that you see on the wta tour week in week out i mean it it seems like madness that that doesn't happen already but that is the reality of of the situation right now um so I'm hopeful that maybe the WTA and Billie Jean King Cup will come to a similar arrangement and that will help just bit by bit, as you said. Um, and I think the point you made about not knowing not knowing the venue is is crucial as well because even, even those qualifiers that we've just read out for April, you know, it's possible that, let's say, for example, Britain might be announced as as the venue for next year's finals and then that qualifying tie with France wouldn't even need to take place. And it's just, it's just a completely unideal situation for the tournament to be in, to have so much uncertainty around even where it is. As you said, we compare it to the Football World Cup and, and the Olympics. You know years in advance when those events are going to be and there can be proper planning and all of that. And that helps people to attend, I'm sure. So all of these things are connected. But at the same time, as you said, the event in this new format is still in its infancy and it's had to it's had to negotiate the pandemic straight after it had it had changed format. So it's it's been a very tough start for it. But, you know, I, I can't help but feel that as as much potential and as much promise as there is for it, a lot of the competition's sort of essence and soul has has been lost by taking away the home and away ties. You know, I, I still think in an ideal world, we would have more of them throughout the year and then a World Cup at the end with with fewer teams, maybe even every couple of years. I don't know. These are these are probably not perfect solutions either and everyone's got an opinion on on what will work. But as you said, let's hope that small improvements year on year and in a few years' time, it's it's bigger and better than it currently is. Yeah. Well, my, my positive to end on is that I actually do think the Davis Cup looks better this year than it mm-hmm. did last time as a result of these these group um, ties played back in September and a final eight knockout. I do like that. Um, I do f- feel encouraged by the fact that the ATP Cup is no longer in the way yeah. and that that's become the United Cup, which is a much more attractive proposition for all the reasons that we always talk about and it's a point of difference and it doesn't completely sabotage or get in the way of of davis cup the fact that the now the atp can get behind the davis cup and it's you know these these are good good little wins for the sport for the good of the sport they're not about just being the big dog in the federation world come on do it for the sport goodness sake and uh and so I'm going to take some some encouragement from that, and uh, on the understanding that yeah, it's it's not going to be an overnight 
success all of this, but well, we know the people behind this event and the, the, how determined they are, and and um, I, I just I just hope it can go from strength to strength. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. The ATP finals, the Nitto ATP finals have uh, got underway today, Matt. Catherine is in... Turin and has been presenting Prime Video's coverage all day, expert as usual. It's been great watching her on telly. And uh, some interesting results have come from it. I've watched quite a bit of the tennis today. Uh, it started with the doubles and an absolutely extraordinary match um, with uh, actually, no, the, the evening match, wasn't it? Ram and Salisbury. They won 10 8 in the third set despite being looking odds on for a straight sets win and then got apparently very, very anxious and lost the second set on a tie break. Um, as Catherine put it, squeaky bum time it was in the arena at that point for them. Um, but uh, anyway, they, they managed to get through. Um, in the singles, we had Casper uh, Ruud beating Felix Ogialiasim. Matt, this afternoon, seven six six four. That's the third successive straight sets win for Casper Ruud over the Canadian. That, to me, if 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 I didn't know that stat, I would have, I would be very surprised by it. Yes, I mean I am surprised by it, even though I do know it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the one that obviously stood out was when Ruud beat him in Canada, wasn't it? I mean he absolutely thumped him then, and I wondered whether that was just. Ojalia seem, I don't know, freezing a little bit on the stage. And I think for the score to be so one-sided, maybe that was what happened. You saw more of this match than I did today, I think. Um, how much did it seem like Ojalia seem was running on fumes or, or not at all? Because that's always my worry when a player has made such a big push to get to the year-end finals. You then sort of wonder how much they've got left. But personally... I felt like that wasn't the story and I felt like Ozzy seem on an indoor hard court, albeit one that's pretty lively and jumping up and maybe suits Rude a bit more than some of the others we've seen. 
Ogiele's team, I think, should be beating Ruse indoors. And given how well he's been playing recently, I, I think that's a little bit of a disappointing loss today, albeit on his you know debut in the competition and everything. Yeah, uh, I I can't say that physicality came into my mind watching that at all. He's a fit young lad. I've never mm. I've never really seen Ogiele seem look like he's out of gas or struggling physically. He's just such a young, fresh. He's so up for it all the time. Um, the 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 comments of Tim Hemman in the Prime Video coverage really struck me about him. He said, "I've hardly ever seen him have a seven out of ten day." He's either nine out of ten and just destroying the opposition and playing lights out tennis, or he's terrible. Effectively, is what he said, and and that's true. That is, you know, if I think of back to watching Novak Djokovic at the same age, the number of matches he'd win efficiently in straight sets playing seven out of ten tennis because that was enough, and that's what he got there. He got that that level that he could always come back to pretty much. You might beat him if he's if he's not able to raise it on that level, but not many people beat him. Not many, certainly not many people who you, you wouldn't expect to beat him. And yeah, Ojeda seems like he's had a really he's had a really good run lately, but he was he was poor, I thought, Matt, really. He was erratic. The backhand was and um, Henman reckons the backhand needs real work. And and I, it does look quite fragile to me. Mm. Well, I was going to ask, was he rubbish today then? You know, if that's if if that's the analysis, you know, he clearly wasn't great. He was disappointing. Right. He was disappointing. I mean, because I don't think Rude was great. I think Rude was fine. Rude was 7 out of 10, right. I would say. And, and you know, Ojeda-Lucin was 5 out of 10. Right. Um, and and I, I find that a shame to hear because I, I did actually think that what, Ojeda-Lucin had done in that run of three titles in a row recently was slightly lifted his average game. Like, like I didn't always think in those events he was playing the best tennis you could possibly play. I think his serve was was on throughout, but generally I just felt like he was steadier from the back of the court and had, had and yeah had lifted that bottom level up and had pushed. Mm had started playing maybe some six or seven out of tens in the early rounds of those events. But yeah, I mean, I, I guess I do agree with the analysis generally. We don't, we don't worry about Ojalia seems top level. We know, we know that when he's on, he can be amazing. We've seen it. We've seen him push, you know, even in slams, he, he had a match point against Medvedev at the Australian open this year. He pushed Nadal to five sets at Roland Garros. He was brilliant, but it's the, it's the round one, shockers or, or or the round two shockers or the just no shows against jack draper you know uh those are the ones that we worry about i suppose but i don't know i still think he's done a lot of good work in the last month or so and he has and and maybe there's a little bit of mental fatigue if not physical i think as well we have to factor in the occasion mm. the stage he's suddenly part of the final eight He'll have been seeing this on TV for years. These are the the best of the best, and he's one of them. He's done the iconic photo, and I just wonder whether maybe that's got to him a bit. Yeah, perhaps. And and one of the things Catherine said from from interviewing him the other day was that he did seem really pleased to be there. And I saw a clip of him, you know, talking about how nice it was to have his own locker, which they always do at at this event, and that's great. I love all of that, but maybe maybe it takes a year of experiencing that and just being sort of happy to be there. And then, you know, if he's there again next year, which I do expect him to be, he's a bit more ready for it, I, I guess. The same happened if you think back to people like Berrettini and Rublev last year and maybe Rude a bit, you know, it, it does happen, I think. Uh, I've seen it with quite a number of players. And then, and then they'll often come back and the next year and, and look different. Um Medvedev, remember the first year he played and he just had the, the run mm. to the US Open final and he was terrible at the <laughs> O2, um, but then he won it the next year. Um, so, you know, we'll, we'll see. Um, but uh, Rude did what he does and he did it well. And, um, and then the, the night session match had Rafael Nadal up against Taylor Fritz and Fritz beat him 7-6-6-1. 
it featured one of the shots of the year from Nadal. A he played a little sort of pushed, poked forehand chip because he had to improvise to get to the net because the ball had clipped the top of the net, I think. And uh, and then he was lobbed by Fritz, and and so Nadal had to just contort his body and get himself into position to hit a high backhand overhead smash, and he hit it so hard and so acutely angled that it was a clean winner and it was like a slam dunk backhand smash um amazing um but he lost the set he lost the set on a tie break i thought he looked pretty good he looked fresh he looked really up for it um and there was some good shot making in there as well but fritz just really hits the ball hits his ball so well because his own backhand is so strong nadal can't really hurt him with the with the spinning, looping, uh, bounding ball up to the backhand. I think Fritz is quite happy to hit that back, a bit like Zverev's quite happy to hit that ball back. And he's he's just got firepower, Fritz. And it was very interesting to hear Fritz talk about the court speed in the on-court interview afterwards. So so often you don't get a very satisfactory answer from a tennis player about court speed. But Fritz really broke it down and said, to be honest, this is really quite quite quick this court and that helps my serve and my backhand but it doesn't help all parts of my game because if it's slower i get more time to wind up on the forehand so i, I really got an insight into to how it works for him um second set you just demolished nadal really who and nadal went away a bit like he did in paris the other week yeah i didn't see this match because of everything that was happening here in glasgow but just looking at the scoreline and hearing what you've said and just following some of the reaction to the match generally, that was the pattern of the match in, in Paris, wasn't it? I was really quite encouraged. I think we were I think we were texting, weren't we, when he played Tommy Paul. Oh, Nadal's looking, looking pretty good here. And then almost as soon as we sent that, he faded physically and Paul ran through the, the third set of that match, wasn't it? And in the same way that Fritz ran through this one, I suppose. I think I read it's the first time in 13 years that Nadal's lost three matches in a row uh, because he, if you go back to the US Open and then Paris and then this one, we're just not used to seeing Nadal in this in this situation. But again, something else Catherine said was that she feels like Nadal is using this event for data gathering, I think she said on the podcast the other day. And that that was quite interesting to me that, I thought that maybe Nadal would shut down his season after the US Open or after the Labour Cup anyway, where he where he made an appearance for Federer. But actually, perhaps he just feels like getting some matches in is going to be more helpful for him going into next year. I I think it's encouraging that his ab and rib seems to be better. His his service motion is much more much more normal again, whereas it was all a bit funny in Cincinnati and the US Open. I felt, but. Yeah, I think that means it's Nadal Ojaliasim next because the two winners play and the two losers play, which which brings up uh, Tony Nadal as 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 he was in Felix Ojaliasim's box today, and then of course when they met at the French Open, he sat in the most awkward position imaginable <laughs> in the front row and. And he sort of basically said that he wanted Nadal to win, even though he's coaching Ozzy Aliasim. It was a whole <laughs> thing. So, you know, there's Catherine's, you know, plot uh, to to sort of build that match up on uh, when will that be? Tuesday, I suppose. That's that's a big talking point. What's gonna what's gonna happen about uh Uncle Tony? Oh, that's brilliant. Um we also had a doubles match at the start of the day. Lloyd Glasspool, British player, sixth seeds. Uh, alongside his partner, whose first name I can't remember, Heliavara is his second name. Can you remember his first name? I think it might be Harry. Harry Heliavara. Okay. Well, he's a charming chap. I heard him <laughs> interviewed afterwards, and he seems really nice. Um, and they won seven five seven six against uh, Roger and Aravalu uh, Gonzalez, the third seeds. So well done to those two. Uh, tomorrow in the ATP Finals, we've got. A first match of Neil Skupski and Wesley Kulhoff, the top seeds up against Tanasi Kakanakis and Nick Kyrgios. 
So I am going to be tuning in for that. Um, it's going to be 11.30 local time in Italy. Then it's Daniel Medvedev against Andrei Rublev. Evening session is Mektic Pavic against Dodig Krajicek. And then Stefanos Tsitsipas against Novak Djokovic. So loads to come. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, we're going to be coming back in at the end of the week after the group stages uh, to, to review those. And... Uh, I, Matt, have nailed two weeks in a row of predictions. So so paint those good. nails. <laughs> like Heinz Gunther. <laughs> you have. You are on on the comeback trail. I'm getting I'm yeah. I'm gonna be honest, I'm getting a little bit worried. Oh, I don't think you got I'm I'm about four hundred points are behind you? Matt. You need to you need yeah. to go big. You need to pick Rublev and hope he wins the ATP finals. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I can't do that. <laughs> I'm not doing that. Uh, anyway, I'll I'll decide. I'll decide in the newsletter, which will be going out in a couple of days' time. So sign up to the newsletter if you haven't already. The link to do so is in the show notes, as is the link to become a friend of the Tennis Podcast. That's our subscription scheme that gives you access to more than 20 bonus podcasts that we've recorded so far this year that includes uh, tennis relived nostalgic looks at great stories from the past and focusing on players like Juan Martin Del Potro and Lee Nahr and uh, Amelie Moresmo and there's loads of other stories we talked at Wimbledon about the juniors the junior champions and whatever happened to them um what else do we talk about? Middle Sundays, uh, remembering those. Uh, we've had so many, so many interesting stories to talk about for Friends of the Tennis Podcast. And uh, yeah, you can also get a shout out. You can get an intro uh, for a show um, and you just get to support us generally and keep this show on the road. So, Matt, anything else of interest that you've watched and enjoyed uh, in, in your time in Glasgow? Are you happy to be leaving? Are you sad to be leaving? Well, I think you're always a little bit sad at the end of an event. You know, you you pour so much of yourself into these events that suddenly when they're over, it's like, oh, well, what now? <laughs> uh, but I'll, I'll head home tomorrow and then I'll be off to Malaga at the weekend to do it all over again for Great. the Davis Cup finals. But uh, yeah. Generally, David, it's been it's been very nice talking to you every night. Uh, tonight, I think, in particular, because other th- other than all the great tennis that uh, we've had today, it's been a it's been a rough sports day for me. I'm not going to lie. Uh, we had uh, Fulham losing in the very last second to Man United, despite dominating them. I was watching that on my on my screen while tapping away, writing about Belinda Bengcic, and then. The Buffalo Bills lost in overtime this afternoon as well. So it's been it's it's been really rough for my for my teams. Uh yeah. and yeah, I feel like this has been a this has been a nice Nice cathartic experience talking about more positive sport. Yes. Uh, and Matt's sitting there right now in his Buffalo Bills top. I'm sitting here in my double Seattle Seahawks top. <laughs> one blue one, one uh, lime green and they've lost today as well so we're we're oh dear oh dear it's not gone very well today but things are going to be looking up we're not going to be staying down for long don't you worry folks i've got my uh my own mascot darwin and we've we've had two weeks in a row of, of big wins darwin catherine's got carter matt's got the dearly departed gerald the cat um billy jean the dog is sponsored by billy jean king and alana kloss uh, Chris Albert Lee and Carl Weingartner are our, our executive producers and top blokes. And we do have shout outs tonight, Matt. We do. Not only do we have shout outs, we have Catherine contributions as well, which I know everyone, everyone always loves. <laughs> um, starting with Eleanor Lucero in Lowell, Massachusetts. Wow. Hi, Eleanor. Thanks very much. Eleanor says something very lovely, which is that she didn't think she could love tennis more. But in discovering the podcast, it's now a certifiable obsession. Oh, I quite like being somebody's certifiable (laughs) obsession, even if I am only one third of it. (laughs) Thank you so much. Uh, We've also got Sarah Pheasant in Washington, D.C. Right, Sarah. 
Catherine says that Washington's very high on her to-visit list and also that pheasant can make a lovely Sunday roast if cooked right. An overdone pheasant is a very bad thing. I see. (laughs) I've never had pheasant. No, me neither. (laughs) Sarah, what tennis players have we had called Sarah? Do you remember the British player Sarah Goma? No. Blank expression there, Matt. (laughs) (laughs) Sarah Goma was a British player in the 80s. Um, So, you know, there we are. (laughs) Can't think of any others. Normally you have an anecdote about a tennis player, but not from the 90s, I suppose. This We can let I, you off. I seem to remember Sarah Gomer was the trivia answer for the last British player to win or do something before Heather Watson did it or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, Sarah, thank you so much for being a friend of the tennis podcast. We've also got Matthew Keck-Kellis in Nashville, Tennessee. Oh, good. Matthews. We like Matthews. All right, Matthew. Yep, that's exactly what Catherine said. Great name, great hometown. See all previous things I've said about Taylor Swift. P.S. I called Taylor Fritz Taylor Swift on air earlier. (laughs) (laughs) By the way, uh, I think Tennessee beat the Denver Broncos today, so uh, I'm quite happy about that. You're always happy when the Broncos lose. Yeah. Russell Wilson, you are no longer one of us. Carry on. <laughs> We've also got uh, Tree Giver. And I, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but Tree Giver is in Oslo, Norway, and says, I like to think Matt would enjoy my backhand. Whoa. Which, which he... are big words, let me tell you. I, t- I tell you, I would... I would have to have Marit Safin's backhand to have the confidence to say that to Matt. <laughs> but Trigger, I like the fact that you're, you're, you're a big believer in your backhand. Does he say whether it's a single or a double? No, no information there. Mm. That's okay. fine. I can enjoy both. Okay. <laughs> as long as it's good. What's the ratio currently on the backhand list of single hands to backhand to double-handed? It's four to one in the favour of double-handers, but I actually think if I had a men's backhand list, I think I would put more single-handers in there. That's my that's my feeling, having not finalised it yet. Do we ever think we're going to get a published men's backhand list? Yeah, probably. Stay tuned. Stay folks. tuned, exactly. I, I haven't heard it. So, you know, we're in the same boat here. (laughs) And Catherine points out that it's a great day for Norway with uh, Kasper Ruud winning today. Yes, it is. So well done. Well done, Trigova. Well done, Kasper Ruud. And the final one today is Nolan Crawford in New York City. Right, Nolan. Nolan uh, says that the closest closest he's come to meeting a host of the tennis podcast was when he saw me seated below him at this year's US Open during Kvitova Muguruza, and apparently I was looking exceptionally calm despite the on-court tension. Oh, yeah, that was tense, wasn't it? Mm. That was an amazing match. That was when Muguruza thought she got it won, and then, oh, then it went into a tie-break, didn't it? Yeah, that was the match which really helped, I think, reboot the tournament after Serena Williams had gone out. Everyone was feeling a little bit flat and then that match happened and it was like, okay, the US Open is is still going to be fine. Good call, Nolan. Well, I hope you see us around sometime at a, t- a tennis tournament. Um, and uh, yeah, we're going to be going to many more of them in the future. Um, and thanks to people like you because you're shouting us out and a friend of the tennis podcast and, you know, helping us to to make all this work. So thank you so much. Matt, it's been a pleasure over the last uh, week. You've done a sterling job, as always. Um, And, uh, yeah, many more of them to come, I'm sure. As Matt said, he's going to be going to Malaga for the Davis Cup Finals for us, where we'll be producing daily editions of the show. Before that, we're going to be summing up the group stages of the ATP Finals. I reckon that's around about Friday night, our time, something like that. Um, not exactly sure, but then we'll also cover the, the, the semifinals on Saturday and the, the final on Sunday. This is next week. Um, and then we'll be right into the Davis cup finals as well. So loads more tennis podcasts coming your way. If you want some more in the next four or five days, become a friend. You've got the bonus shows there and, uh, yeah, thanks for your company. We'll speak to you soon. 
deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.